So this morning, I'm kind of wrapping up and, um, with a verse we started about four weeks ago with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. So if you want to throw that up there for me. And we started looking at what does it mean to be equipped. Equipping. And we said that it looks like mending or refurbishing. God is busy with us. And he uses the gifts, the fivefold ministry, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, you know, is using the prophet, is using the apostle to, to teach through the word, to equip the saints. We determined that each one of us, we are saints. There's no better saints and worse saints. We're all saints of God. If you are a born again believer, then the next thing we looked at last week is the work of the ministry or the work of service. And what does it look like? And if you haven't listened to that, ser- that sermon, please, I'm encouraging you to go to our website, joshgen.co.za. You'll be able to listen to the preachers there. It's all available. But today I want to talk about the building up of the body of Christ. Now, you see two metaphors there that Paul is using. You see a building and you see a body. You see building and you see body. And this is really, this whole series is called bodybuilding. So this is bodybuilding part four. So this morning, I want you to look at this scripture again in its totality. But also, I want you to note that Paul does not say in that verse, for the increase of the numbers of attendees on a given Sunday. Do you see it there? Saints, we're not equipped just that the church can be full of attendees on a Sunday. Okay. That's not the reason why Paul writes this. That's not why the Holy Spirit inspired that scripture so that we can actually unpack it today. Not that there's just bums in seats on a Sunday morning. He never sees that. It's not just that we have full churches. No. He talks about the building up of the body. Okay. So the critical issue in view of this is, in other words, not quantity of saints, but quality of saints. God is not very interested in the quantity. We can have big churches and go nowhere slowly. Or we can have small churches that is vibrant and on fire for Jesus and going somewhere. Where every part is effective in what God has called them to do. Every single saint is equipped for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body. So a lot of this that you're going to look look at, the building up, is really the word to edify. To, to encourage. So each one of us, as we come together, the Bible is very clear that we, to, we ought to encourage one another. Edify. Build one another up. How are you doing, Johan? You look beautiful in that blue today. You know? You know, it's accentuating your cheekbones, Johan. Build him up, you know? Those that have moved advanced in years, they all look more pretty today than they looked yesterday. They all look younger. You know, encourage one another. But don't, obviously don't do it with a lie. Just mean it from the bottom of your heart. <laughs> you see, 
I want to ask you if this, and if you've been in Josh Jen for a little while, does this describe the vision and the values of Josh Jen? What I've just said. It should be because it's God's pattern. It's God's divine design. It's the way that God wants to build the church together. This is God's pattern for church growth. 101. You see, guys have studied and write books and I've read, I've read so many books on church growth. I mean, you walk into any Christian bookshop, you will have a whole rack on just church growth. Every Tom, Dick and Harry has got something to say about church growth. All they need to do is read their Bibles and, they'll, and God will give you the divine design, the blueprint. That's all you need to do. This is the blueprint for church growth. If you really want to grow people, but not just in numbers, but in depth. You see, I say, I don't care that you have relationships that is a mile wide, wide, but an inch deep. For me, it's about depth. That there is a depth amongst us as a people where we just don't just greet people on a Sunday, but you don't even know who that person is. And on Monday morning, you see that person in checkers, and you kind of go, I have no idea who that is. I've seen that person. Maybe I've seen them at the tuck shop at my child's school. No, I saw them somewhere. Or you see somebody that you actually don't like within the life of the church, and then you run to the, to the, to the aisle where the dog food is, where nobody really shops anyway. And you stand there. You don't even have a dog. Because you just don't want to greet them and they're there by the fruit. And you run away and you stand there by the ammonia, looking through ammonia bottles. And you don't even want to buy it. Because you're too afraid to actually go to that person and love them. But this is what God has called us to do, to building up the body. The body is built up externally through evangelism. Okay? So... So the body of Christ grows externally through us sharing the gospel. And more believers are added. But the emphasis in this verse is on being built up internally. As all believers are nurtured to fruitful service through the word. See, Paul mixes building, these metaphors of building and body, but both is representing something dynamic, something living and living. Both of them. Something dynamic. There's something dynamic about this building, but there's also something dynamic about your body. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says this. You yourselves, we read it last week, like living stones are being built up is that word again as well. As a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I brought you a little stone wall. I brought you a little picture. Pick one of those. That's you. I mean you could be this little small one here in the bottom. But he's got a significant part to play in that wall. Every, every stone... And that's what God's called us, to be living stones that make up a building, a body, each, each one of us. And you might feel like you, you're the smallest stone, but every single stone in that wall is, has got a, a very effective way. He is necessary to be there. You take some of those stones out now, 
that whole wall will crumble. And you kind of think, oh, there's these prominent ones here in the bottom. Maybe they're the more prominent ones. They're all necessary within the life of the church. Living stones. Paul uses this, um, he talks about gifted people. I don't know. I'm just a minister of the word of God. That's what we do. But God uses the, the gifts, the teachers and the pastors. He's using them. To minister the word to others so that they in turn are, are, are readied and get involved in ministering themselves. Paul uses this and he talks to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. He says this, he says, I, Paul, I entrust to you, Timothy. You'll see four layers there. You'll see leadership there, really. He says, so that you have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses. Then he says, I pass that on to you, Timothy. But I want you now, Timothy, to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Can you see that? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. That's the plan of God. Paul could have pulled rank and said, it's just me, Paul. It's just about me. Timothy could have pulled rank and said, it's just about me. I'm the pastor in this church and you should bow down to me. And I'm the guy that's the, the main peanut in the pocky. But you're not the main peanut in the pocky. You're just one of the peanuts in the pocky. And that's what he's saying there. Entrust to faithful men. Therefore, there's leaders in the church. There's deacons in the life of the church. There's community leaders. There's people that oversee our worship. There's people that oversee our kids' church. Mariette is helping us with the single ladies. That is, that is Mariette stepping into what God has called her to be. She's being a living stone and building up the body of Christ. See, this, this word building, it comes from, and we get the word house, oikos, or oikodome, that's really the word. Um, oikos is a dwelling or a house, and dome is a building. So it literally, it means literally a building of a house, and it can refer to any building process, literally. But figuratively, as used in this verse specifically, oikodome refers to the church. And Paul is referring to us as a building. Stone walls, living stones, building up. Every, every person is a priest. That's what he is using. A dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That's why we want, that's why we come together. We don't want to just come Sunday after Sunday to church and not experience the Holy Spirit. We want to make this place, not this building, this body, but us coming together, becoming a building. So we, we, we lay a lot of emphasis on buildings many times, physical buildings. And the Bible talks about them. But I want to say to you, figuratively, you're a building. You're part of a building. When we come together, we've just created a building. Or we've created a body. Where the finger can say, cannot say to the nose, I don't need you. Where the toe cannot say to the To the ear, I don't need you. Where every single part is significant. Look 
at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 quickly. In whom the whole structure, the whole body, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's the church. So if I don't have Marshall on a Sunday here, I feel like there's a stone missing from this wall. When I don't have William and Siska being part of the leadership, I feel like there's a gap in the wall. This building, this structure is not properly joined together. It's not growing into a holy temple. And the amazing thing about vision and values in a church should be that every person has got a part to play. In the 80s, there was a TV program called Cheers. I think it was in Boston. It was a bar in Boston. And the slogan of this bar is where everybody knows your name. And I want to say to you, church should be like Cheers Bar. Josh Chen, Outstrong, you should be at a place where people will know you by name. When you come through those doors, that everybody will be able to tell, hey, that is Johan. I know Johan. Because we're a holy temple growing together. That's why we encourage accountability. That's why we encourage to eat together and have meals together. That's why we do these things as a value. You see, Peter uses this, Paul uses this description of oikodome, of building up of the saints. Ephesians chapter 4, 29, he uses the same thing. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. There's that oikodome again. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Edification, it's building up. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, it's written, And now I commend you. This word, I commend you, is a banking term that is used. In the original Greek, it is used as a banking term. Paul is depositing the elders, he's depositing in the elders first, and the, the word of God, and of grace. It's, it's, it actually means this. To place near. So when I'm, when I'm depositing, I'm placing something near Johan. I'm depositing, I'm commending him. There's something that I want to com, you know, convey. I com, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Those are the two things that I'm depositing this morning in you. Which is able to build you up. There's that word again. And to give you the inheritance among all those who are set apart or sanctified. Then let's quickly look at this word body of Christ or the body. It's the church. Again, metaphorically, when we look at that, that's the body and we've used it. And, and it's the Greek word soma. And it refers not to a literal physical body in this verse, but to the figurative body of Christ. The church, the bride of Christ. And Paul explains this about the body in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body, there's a, he's using that word soma, is one, 
and has many members, many parts. And all the parts or the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. So this is a local expression of a local body. But we're also part of the global church. A lot of people in today's society say, well, I'm okay with Jesus, but the church. Can I say that is gross? Because you are only worshipping a severed head. Christ is the head of the body. And if you say it's all just about me and Jesus, where's the body? Because the body needs a head as much as a head needs a body. We both, we need one another. If there's no body without a head, it's just gross. And people think that they're so spiritual when they say, well, I'm just going to worship Jesus. But the church... I want to remind you when Paul was on the Damascus road, when, when he was struck with blindness, he heard a voice and he knew it was Jesus. And what was the question that Jesus asked him? He said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He never said, Paul, why are you persecuting the church? Because Jesus knew him, he and the church, they are one. Jesus said these words. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it in Matthew. In the Old Testament it says, unless the Lord builds the house, we're all laboring in vain. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is coming back for a church that is pure, spotless, without blemish. He's coming back for that. And I always say, what, what Jesus orders is what Jesus gets. In my older days as a young Christian, I always spoke about God's Ways and Means Committee. God's, God's got a Ways and Means Committee. You'll know what I'm talking about. God's got a way and He's got a mean to get something through to you. He'll use the situation. He'll use your wife. He'll use your kids. He'll use the taxi driver. He'll use somebody to teach you something. It's called His Ways and Means Committee. Okay. And you know when he's doing that in your life. But you're part of a body, my friends. You can't operate on your own. I see way too many churches that's a bunch of thumbs because like-minded thumbs hang together. And we all, the, the, the first church of the thumb, you know, and we all get together as thumbs in a house. We don't even get together in a building. We get together in a house because the thumbs are not talking about how offended they were with the middle finger in the church. Yes, that was a metaphor. And I tell you, so often people think that they, they can sever themselves, cut themselves off from the body and think they will survive all by themselves. No, they can't. You can't. Because this is what it is. This is the blueprint, the body. I want to read, I want to end with this. I've got five minutes or so. If I go over a little bit. I just want to read you something from a book by a man called Ray Stedman. And it's called How the Body Works. So please follow with me. Ray Stedman, he actually offers a very penetrating assessment of how well the church has followed the divine blueprint 
for the building up of the body of Christ. He starts with this. He says, when we compare present day churches to the original blueprint, it is strikingly apparent that many deviations have been permitted, which have been detrimental to the life of the church. Through the centuries, the church gradually turned away from the simple provisions which made it such a powerful and compelling force in its early years. And terrible distortions entered into the church, which continue to weaken the church today. Popular thinking fastened onto the church building, the physical stone and the glass edifice as the identifying symbol of the church. You know, I want to say to you, anything that, everything that just says church above it is not always church. <laughs> Honestly. Just because it looks like a church doesn't mean it is a church. Emphasis was placed upon great imposing structures. Massive ornate cathedrals with stained glass windows and flying buttresses. In the beginning, working in the church meant to exercise a gift or perform a ministry anywhere within the far-flung body of Christ, even in a home, out of a mission field, or a hospital. Gradually, however, working in the church came to mean performing some religious act within a specific building, which was called the church. At the same time, there was a gradual transfer of ministry responsibilities from the people whom we, are, we will call the laity, to the few pastor teachers whom we will call the clergy, a term which is derived from a Latin clericus, meaning to a priest. So we just kind of worship the priest now. The scriptural concept that every believer is a priest before God was gradually lost, and a special class of super-Christians emerged who were looked to for practical For practically everything. And it came to be called the ministry. Somehow, the church lost sight of the concept. So clearly stated in Ephesians chapter 4. That all Christians are in the ministry. All Christians are. The proper task of the four support ministries. Or five-fold support ministries. We have examined is to train motivate and strengthen the people, so-called ordinary laymen, to do the work of the ministry. When the ministry was left to the professionals, there was nothing left for the people to do other than come to church and listen. And I tell you right now, if you have nothing to do, you'll get bored. I look at my kids. I looked at them at, during lockdown. I'm bored. I have nothing to do. Just give them something to do. They were told that it was their responsibility to bring the world into the church. That's your job. To hear the pastor preach the gospel. Soon Christianity became little more than a Sunday morning spectator sport. Much like the definition of football. 22 men down on the field, desperately in need of rest, and 20,000 in the grandstands, desperately in need of exercise. Did you hear that? 22 men, 
that's on the fields and it's only the pastors. They're running week after week and they're desperately in need of, of rest. And there's 22,000 people sitting in the stands and they all desperately need exercise. This unbiblical distortion has placed pastors under an unbearable burden. They have proved completely unequal to the task of evangelizing the world, counseling the wounded and brokenhearted, ministering to the poor and needy, uh, relieving the oppressed and afflicted, expounding the scriptures and challenging the entrenched forces of evil in an increasingly darkened world. Pastors were never ever meant to do it all. To even attempt it is to end up in frustrated, exhausted and emotionally drained which, of course, is exactly the state in which we, you find many pastors today. Further, this distortion has resulted in a sadly impoverished church, which has made little impact on the world and increasingly withdraws into weakness, irrelevance, and isolation. That's the state of the church today, my friends. We desperately need to return to the dynamics of the early church. We can no longer defend or our ivy-clad traditions which leave no room for the original power-packed New Testament strategy. Pastors, particularly, must restore to the people the ministry which was taken from them with the best of intentions. The work of the ministry belongs to the entire body of believers. We should be equipped, guided, and encouraged by those who are gifted by God to expound and apply His word with wisdom and power. The entire body has received gifts on the Spirit, and it is the task of those in the pastoral ministry to encourage the entire body to discover and exercise those gifts. When we rediscover the pattern and strategy of Ephesians 4, when we have given our Christians in the body their God-given role as ministers of God's eternal plan, then the entire body comes alive with resurrection power. Lives are changed. Ministries explode. Communities are touched and healed. The church becomes healthy and vital and exciting again. If we can recapture God's original strategy for the church, then we will again see churches that are modern extensions of the church of Acts. The trademarks of the true living church of Jesus Christ are boldness, power, transformation, and love. Lived out in acts after acts of Christian service. There is no place in this world more exciting than to be a church that operates as God has designed it to be. There's no place because she's beautiful. The bride is beautiful when every part is coming together. We're going to have a bride on Saturday. And I just said to Magda and Christy that, that this week is going to be so much of stuff happening for a wedding and all that stuff. But there's that moment where the bride walks out to meet her groom. Where everything is forgotten. All the hurrying, the scurrying, the, the ironing, the makeup, the, the everything. And the two of them have got eyes just for one another. That moment when you lock eyes, men, 
think about that moment when you got married. Go right back to that moment when you saw your bride. Just think about it quickly. How beautiful she was in front of you. Most of you just stood there, most probably with your mouth hanging open. I've had the privilege to stand on this side of the pulpit. I see you. You all cry. Every single one of you. Selfs call it geheil to answer in gelopak. Sikke daarvan. It's beautiful. The bride and the groom become one. That moment where God's doing a miracle, bringing the bride and the groom together. Jesus is coming back for this, my friends. For a church that is equipped for the work of service, for the building up, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's close our eyes quickly.